Well, it's good to be here today and be with all of you. And uh, I know you've noticed the cost of everything going sky high. You go to the doctor, the the doctor would charge you an arm and leg. You go to the hospital. Even the veterinarians are are costing you a lot if you take your dogs or cats and so on. I heard this one case where this individual whose dog he found lying on his back in the living room with his legs straight up. He didn't know if he was dead or not. He didn't know if he was dead or not. And so he thought he'd take him to the vet. So he took him to the vet, and uh, he described to the vet the shape of the dog when he found him. The, the vet said, there's one surefire way to find out if he's dead. I'll be back in just a moment. So he went, got his cat, brought his cat in, took the head of the cat, rubbed it all over that dog's face, all over the body, legs, and he came to the conclusion the dog is dead. So the owner was distraught. And the owner says, how much do I owe you? He said, $550. What? $550? What for? $50 for the office visit, $500 for the CAT scan. <laughs> when I look at Dr. Meredith, I, I know what he's thinking. I should have sent you to Siberia like I promised you. <laughs> this lady told me this story in Crossville, Tennessee. <clears throat> she said... Uh, these two men had stole a pig. They had a pickup truck and stole this pig and put the pig in between them. And the farmer called the sheriff and told him the two men had just stole a pig, my pig, in a pickup truck. So the sheriff then spotted the pickup truck, and the men saw the sheriff's light blinking, so they put a coat on this pig and a hat on him and glasses. So the sheriff stopped the person and said, we're looking for a man, two men who stole a pig. He said, have you seen anything like that? He said, no. He asked the driver, he said, what's your name? He said, Ben Jones. He asked the one in the middle, what's your name? He said, oink. He asked the third one, what is your name? He said, Joe Jones. He said, well, if you see anything strange, be sure to let me know. They were driving down the road. And the sheriff's deputy said, there's something funny about those three people. He said, I know it. I said, I've seen a lot of ugly people in my life, but that Oink Jones about the ugliest person I've ever seen. So well, that's enough of that before I am shipped out. I was thinking this morning, you know, what a privilege God has given to us to know his truth. He called me back in 1960, spring of 1960. I was going no place. My whole life was around athletes. I could have been a professional athlete if I wanted to. But that was my life. Just that, that part drove me. Until I heard the truth by Mr. Armstrong. Now, I didn't know who he was at all. But I heard him, and something grabbed me, would not let me go. 
Now I didn't know where to go at all. I didn't know who was preaching that at all. So for 26 straight nights, I went to a revival. That was in the springtime. You know, they have revivals. Different groups, different churches, and I realized that something was wrong. It was not what I was looking for. And so I didn't know what to do, just like you, some of you, some of the people have called me and said, Mr. League said, uh, I'm looking for the church that teaches what they teach on the television program. I'm looking for that church. And I say, well, you found it. You found the church. So three years, my wife and I did not go to church, didn't know where to go because they didn't have any churches back then. I think Memphis, Tennessee, they had one in Chicago and New York. They didn't have any churches because they didn't have the ministers. They didn't have anybody to teach other than what Mr. Armstrong on the radio. We heard him every night, 7 o'clock, my family and I, for those three years, it kept us going, receiving the correspondence courses and the booklets and all of that. We spent time in preaching and teaching to each other, so we would preach to each other. But you don't realize when I found out there was a church raised up in Birmingham, Alabama. That was 140, 120 miles from where we lived, and services were at 9:30 in the morning. What a joy that was, trying to get the kids up, get them ready at that early in the morning, driving to Birmingham, Alabama, and getting back at night. You stay all day. People had their Bibles open. They were talking. They were preaching. They couldn't get away from each other. You cannot describe those times of what God had, did, had done for me. He gave me life. For the first time, I felt alive. I had begun to be worth something to God. And all of us can say that. And sometimes we just take the truth for granted. We take going to church for granted and not realizing how important that is to us and to our salvation as well. So I'd like to pose a question to you this afternoon. Which would you say is most important? Doctrine or fellowship? Do you go to church to hear the doctrine or go to church for fellowship? Think about that for a moment. We'll answer that in a few moments and show which really is important, uh, very important, that you can have fellowship in. As you read in the Scriptures all through the epistles of the Apostle Paul, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Paul here is writing and charging Timothy. He said, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who would judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He didn't say preach man's word or what man says about his word, but preach the word of God as you have been taught. Preach that word. It has to be preached. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. So God's true minister is going to convince you and convince me to follow the teachings of God. 
that teachings. It corrects us. It sets us up straight. Because they preach from the heart. They preach with conviction. Not some syrupy message. Not some syrupy sweet message. It's a message of power. A message of salvation. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You wonder how that could be. How that people cannot endure sound doctrine. Well, what do they endure then? If they leave sound doctrine, where do they go? They go back to man's doctrine. The way it should be. If I were in charge, that's the way it would be. Back to man's doctrine, you see. They're looking for that. According to their own desires. Because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers. Not God's teachers. They can endure that. But teachers who will agree with them. Teachers that will give them their way. Not the way of God. So they go back there. And they turn their ears away from the truth. And turn aside the fables. In my 50 years in the church, I have seen this happen. I have seen ministers go back to the man's knowledge, the man's way, instead of following the way they were taught, instead of following the way that God had set up the church. They thought they knew the better way. And I've seen thousands of people leave the church simply because they would not follow sound doctrine. Would not follow that kind of teaching at all. They wanted something else better than that. And yet we see that, you know, they came to nothing. When you cease following what you've been taught by God's true ministers, you become nothing. We have to follow the teachings of the church, of the true ministers of God. The truth is what God has put into the church an understanding. Sometimes, brethren, we may not understand everything. Well, we certainly understand sound doctrine, something that's sound, something that makes sense. When I first heard Mr. Armstrong, it made sense to me. I never heard it before, but it made sense. All I heard before was going to heaven. If you're good, you go to heaven. You have an immortal soul. If you die, you're going to hell. That's all I ever heard. I'd go to church and all you'd hear is give yourself to Christ, give yourself to Christ, give yourself to Christ. That Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. They never did tell you how to live. They didn't correct you. You didn't know what to do. You just felt good. Going to church and singing, Oh, I love Jesus. Now, that was fellowship, quote, unquote. Everybody had something in common, a lie. And they lived a lie. And you learned to be a hypocrite. If you had a little wine, you wouldn't drink in front of somebody else. You sneaked around and did things you knew probably was not sin. But it made you a hypocrite. But in the church of God, think what you can do. The privilege you have. That you don't have to sneak around to do anything. You have the truth. And the truth is what keeps you free. 
So apparently, like these men, they never learn that man's knowledge cannot solve man's problem. Cannot solve man's problems. Man's knowledge cannot solve man's trouble, uh, problems. It's been tried for the past 6,000 years. Ever since Adam and Eve were cut off from the knowledge of God. Man cannot solve his problems. When they were cut off from the knowledge of God, and their children all just kept growing more wicked, more in man's knowledge, more in man's way, more of what seemed right, until God had to destroy it and start over. When Noah, the preacher of righteousness, and he was the king of the earth, there was nobody else. And that happened until Nimrod. Nimrod then came up with man's knowledge, how to do it, away from God's knowledge. And we see the mess the world is in today. They followed that line of reasoning, man's knowledge, how it should be, how we should worship God. Is there a God or not? So all of those things have been tried. Man has never brought peace to anybody. Man has never had a successful government. Man has never had his nature changed unless God changed it. So it's man's knowledge. Sometimes it gets us off track. We get on the Internet and see what other men are saying. It might make a little sense. Man's knowledge instead of God's knowledge. God's knowledge is what saves us. His doctrines, His teachings of the church. Even old wise King Solomon understood that man's knowledge could not solve man's problems. And we don't know what his IQ would be today. Could it be measured? He was probably one of the smartest men that's ever lived besides Christ. Uh, probably a whole lot smarter than Einstein. He had the knowledge. He had the wisdom because God gave it to him. The knowledge. Now, he had everything going for him. Kingship, honor, fame, pleasure. He had the best that money could buy. He was just rolling in dough, we would say. He could buy anything he wanted. But did that satisfy him? Was he really happy? Because he had the wealth. Could he really buy peace? Could he buy salvation? No matter how much money a person may accumulate, can he really buy peace? Is it to be bought? Can he buy salvation? Can he buy happiness? Can he buy a good marriage? With man's knowledge? Man's way? And sometimes even in a marriage, a lot of our problems has to do with man's knowledge. Instead of what God says, it's man, what Dr. So-and-so said, or so-and-so says this. Instead of the knowledge of God, the only knowledge that can set you free and keep you free. It keeps you free. It does not set you free, but it keeps you free all the time in that knowledge. And yet when you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, he illustrates the futility Frustration of all these things apart from the knowledge of God, the law of God, and the gift of eternal life. Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Most of you know it by heart. It concludes 
verse 11, uh, verse 12. And further, my son, be admonished by these, uh, make in many books there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. And you hear people boasting of how many books they've written in their lifetime. But has it changed anybody? Has any man book ever changed anybody? It changed their nature? Changed their way of life? It did. It changed their way of thinking. They said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. This is let us sum up everything. Man is best. His best is nothing but vanity. He's like the wind. He's nothing. So for fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man all. This is the whole man, is to fear God, fellowship with God, fellowship with his knowledge and his knowledge, fellowship with him, agree with him, live by his laws, live by his standard of life, then we're in complete harmony and fellowship with God when we do that. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You can't have man's knowledge here and God's knowledge here. Now, I'm not saying it's not wrong to read books. I don't mean that. But Mr. Meredith, and I've heard him preach for years and years and years. And his main theme is feed on this book. You've heard it over and over and over. Feed on it. That's the knowledge that we all need is the book of life that we will live and preach during that millennium. That book of life. It won't be Einstein's knowledge or any man's knowledge. It will be the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Almighty God. <clears throat> In Isaiah 55, Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah writes, inspired to write in verse 1 of Isaiah 55. Paul, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Where is that water? If we're supposed to come to the water, where is it? See? And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? And no matter what you buy, eventually it becomes old. You, you become dissatisfied with it. No matter what it is. Here what it is. Suit, new car, it becomes old. You become dissatisfied. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David, indeed, I have given him as witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Verse 5, surely you shall call a nation... You do not know. And a nation who does not know you shall run to you because of the eternal your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. 
Seek the Lord while he may be found. How do you seek God? You don't see him. How do we seek God? We can't find him, or can we? How do you seek God? That's the question. Seek him. Well, it's through his knowledge. It's through his word. It's through his Sabbath day. It's through his holy days that we began to seek and understand who God really is. I never did understand that before. And even when I started keeping the Sabbath, I didn't understand that. The holy days, I didn't. It took me a long time to understand the holy days. But I sought God. I listened to God's ministers. They told me how to do it. They gave me the scriptures in doing that. And I remember that. Because I wanted to seek God. I sought everything else. I wanted to seek God. Then he says, call upon him while he is near, that the wicked forsake his way, or his knowledge, or his way of life, or the way he's been taught, to forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and we are to take on then, you know, blessed is he, the thirst and hunger for righteousness sake, they shall be filled. We are to forsake unrighteous ways or the righteous way, the way that leads to peace and everything anybody wants in life. That knowledge is what keeps us free, sets us free. And let him return to the eternal. He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. No matter what I think, unless they're God's thoughts, they're not his thoughts. Sometimes I want God to think my thoughts, bring God to me in my own image, created him in my image. This is the way he thinks. I want him to think like I think. No, it's the other way around. We have to think like God thinks. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, saith the eternal. For as the heaven are height higher than the earth, So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So it's God's thoughts that we seek. And how do we do it? It's through the Scriptures. It's through the hearing the sermons, God-fearing teachers that we follow and listen to and magnify them as God's true servants, teaching God's true way of life in these situations. That we're talking about. <clears throat> no matter how much money you may have, as I said, you can't buy peace. Great peace of they that love thy law. That's where peace comes from, through that knowledge. Do you want peace? A tranquil mind. You seek that law. You seek it. God guarantees the fruit of it is peace. And he shows that in the scriptures <clears throat> over and over. We in God's church realize that our eternal life, our eternal life, brethren, hinges on doctrine, on the teachings, following the teachings of Christ as he taught Mr. Armstrong, as he learned through Mr. Armstrong through the scriptures, as he taught us, 
And I was mentioned to Dr. Meredith. I said, I've known you for 60, uh, for, I can't say how long, but since 63, he might not have known me that long. But I've never heard him deviate from what he was taught about truth. I never heard that. He's never led us away from the Sabbath, the holy days, tithing systems, or anything of that nature. He's kept true blue to that teaching. It keeps us free. It's only when somebody else tries to come in with a different man's teaching or a man's way that we get into trouble. Begin to listen to man instead of God's teachers that He has set in the church to teach us His way of life. Now, there's a big difference in proving something than just go along with it. Because Dr. Meredith says... I prove it. Mr. Armstrong said, don't believe me. Believe the Bible. You prove it, that knowledge. You test it to see if it's true or not. Then if it is true, you guard it with your life. And nobody can take it from you. Guaranteed, you guard it at all costs. You fight for it. And nobody's going to take that away from you. That truth. That you have proven to be true. A lot of people have never proven the Sabbath day. Well, if you say it, if the church says it, we believe it. No, we say prove it. Test it. See. Because you may have to give your life for it one of these days. Could you? Under heavy torture, could you give your life for what you believe? Would you give your life? For what you believe under heavy torture, like some of the men and women of old. See, we've never really been tested yet, have we? We don't know what we will do. Young people, you haven't been tested yet. So you don't know what you will do in the end unless you follow the instructions of the Bible and what you've been taught and understand. So truth is paramount paramount importance to us. Let's turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Talked about this woman, said you worship what you don't know. See, some man's idea. Some man's knowledge of how to worship God is what what she was, you know, what she was telling Christ. Uh, in verse 21, he says, uh, "Woman, believe me. See, don't believe anybody else. You believe me. The hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father." Did that come come to pass? You? He said, "You believe me." Don't believe anybody else that this is going to happen. You worship what you do not know. We know that we worship, for, we know who we worship, for our salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And that's the only way that we can worship God. And God is seeking people who will worship Him 
Fellowship with Him in His truth. Fellowship with Him in His truth. He's seeking those. Well, where do you go to find the truth? Kmart? Walmart? Where do you go? I didn't know where to go. Where the truth was. Except God led me there. To where it was being preached and taught. You can't buy it at some other place. You come to church to learn the truth, the spirit of the truth, to live the truth, not to come to hear man's philosophies or doctrines of men or doctrines about men, but the truth of God. It sets you free and it keeps you free. Each Sabbath you attend services, you feel freer. Why do you receive more truth from God's servants? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's where a fellowship is. Fellowshipping with God in spirit and in truth. We all have one thing in common, that is to help get the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God out to the world. We're all in fellowship with that. We all understand that. We're all willing to sacrifice for that. That's the most important thing. Get the gospel out to the world as a witness. So people at least can hear there is a God in heaven. And he is coming to bring peace. And he's coming to do away with Satan, the devil, his demons, and the governments of this world. Man-made, but Satan-inspired. Man-made, but Satan-inspired. So he said, uh, Jesus here was telling her how that the Father should be worshipped. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, turn to 2 Timothy 3. Paul instructed again Timothy, writing him a letter. Be careful what was happening. Be aware of it. Second Timothy 3, <clears throat> verse, uh, let's see. Verse 12. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And that I've seen that. You've seen that. When you have no purpose, when you have no gold, when you're not being fed the right way of life, you become more deceived. You begin to think, well, maybe God doesn't care if I do this. Well, maybe we can accept this. Maybe we can accept that. I can't see where it's wrong to not accept same-sex marriage. I've had people to tell me that, quote-unquote Christians, that just keep being deceived. Man's knowledge, man's understanding will not solve that problem. And to go along with it won't solve it, that problem. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you have learned them. He said, you must follow what I have taught you, Timothy. You follow that way that I taught you. That I taught you the doctrines of the church, of Christ. Don't forget that. Follow that way. And that man, and from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. And he goes on to show that all Scripture is given by inspiration. But anyway, he was admonishing Timothy. Remember, I taught you. Remember my way of life. The way you saw me live. Follow that way. And we'll be in perfect fellowship. Follow that teaching. Follow the teacher. The teacher who knows. The teacher who teaches truth that can set you free if you want to be free. A teacher that convince you that you need to change at times. He's not going to convince you that you're all right right now. And we all need to grow in perfection. We're not perfect yet. Still have some rough edges around us. And we need help. We need knowledge. We need somebody to help us. Now one thing I think about the Spokesman Club, what it's done to all of us, is cause us to evaluate everybody. Evaluate the sermons, evaluate the speaker, evaluate this, evaluate that, evaluate this, you see, disagree with this, disagree with that. He's negative here, he's negative there, you improve here and you improve there. So we've got a whole church of evaluators that understand, they think they understand. They think they understand because they've been in club, evaluate, or ambassador to college. I've been to ambassador to college, so I understand. I'm better than everybody. I understand, you see. And what happened? They got to introduce a lot of man's teachings. And where are they today? Well, they left the true teachers. Mr. Meredith said he taught most of them. Is it Mr. Meredith's fault? Was it Dr. Mr. Armstrong's fault? That they left? Well, absolutely not. They got involved with something else. And that's what happens in those situations as well. Now then, I mentioned Jesus said, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. The truth, and the truth will make you free, and the truth will keep you free if we hear it every week. If we live it every day, if we hear that truth, if we hear the voice, if we hear God's voice through his servants and understand that, that's what we need to do. So I mentioned, where do we go get the truth in? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked this all-important question, verse 13 of Matthew 16. Uh, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Let's find that, I believe, in John chapter 14, verse 6. So he asked the question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? 
Some said, well, you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. See, nobody knew. They thought, well, he's a prophet. He's Jeremiah. He's come back. He's, he's John the Baptist. But he said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in who is in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot reveal the Father. It takes Christ to reveal the Father to, to us. He told us who the Father is. He tells us what His plan is. For us, and we grow in the knowledge of our God, the Father, and the knowledge of Christ, our Savior. But he said to them, he said, you're the Christ of the Son of the living God. And he said, flesh and blood has not revealed you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we saying here, it's on truth. This is going to be a church of truth that will preserve the truth. It's where the truth will be, the church I'm building. That's where you go for the truth. You assemble for the truth. You assemble to hear the truth that God has given to His servants to teach us His way of life. And God the Father has to reveal to us his plan of salvation through Christ. And understand that the Father and the Son were in perfect relationship, perfect fellowship, because Christ carried it out to the T what the Father desired. Christ did not say, I came to do my will. I came to do my work. He came to do the Father's work. So it was in perfect harmony with the Father. And he chose the twelve apostles. Passed on to them what the Father passed on to him. And they were in harmony, peace. Old rugged apostles. Seagoing apostles. Pharisees, they were ignorant. Unlearned men. Couldn't speak their language. Didn't have their dialect. They didn't have them. They're ignorant people. But they misunderstood those ignorant people. God chose them, and they were willing to die for what they saw. So the Pharisees said, well, let's whip them a little bit. They'll give it up. Just whip them some. Put them in here and whip them. Did that stop them? Did that stop their fellowship? Did, did that make them afraid? Were they willing to give their lives to what they saw and what they believed in? God is choosing those kind of people, brethren. In the end, we're going to have to have men who stand for the truth. Young men, you're going to have to stand for truth. We need men to stand. And it takes a man to stand. It's not for sissies. It's not for sissies at all. It makes men out of you. Men see your example. They follow that example. 
They want to come to church because of your example. I've had people tell me that my neighbor, you know, the reason I'm here is my neighbor set such a good example for us. Men who were strong did not compromise at all the truth. The truth, man did not compromise it. And so the church reveals the truth through God's Spirit to us. We have God's Spirit. We receive more of God's Spirit. We receive more of His truth. And we understand it's organized to protect the truth. It keeps false teachers. It keeps them out. In Acts chapter 2, shows when the church was founded. And our job is to protect the flock from man's wisdom, from man's knowledge, to God's knowledge. Now Peter, with his heartfelt message, from the heart, he preached a powerful sermon from the heart. They convicted 3,000 people. Now notice here what he said in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. Now that had to cut. You killed Christ. You crucified Him. Both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, they didn't go to the Pharisees asking them, are they telling the truth? What should we do? No, they listened to the apostles' word. His word. And they were cut from the heart and asked. Then Peter said to repent and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you, to your children, to all who are far off, and as men the Lord our God will call. In many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation, and all who gladly received his word. Whose word? Peter's word. They gladly received it. They wanted to hear it. They never said, well, show me the proof. You know the Roman soldiers, somebody killed Christ, so it didn't unstick that spear in his side. But they believed Peter, God's apostle. They believed him. He spoke from the heart. He convinced them that they wanted to change. And they had asked Peter how to do it. Because they didn't know. So at that day, 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teachings and fellowship in those teachings. See, they followed the apostles' teachings because they believed they were God's servants. They saw, heard Peter. They saw the Holy Spirit. Manifest itself in those tongues. Had never been seen before, apparently. And they knew something was different in what they were brought up in. 
And they knew they were going to have to get rid of their teachings as they have been taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and others. So fear came upon every prayer, upon everyone. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And we say that about us here this afternoon. Are we all together? Do we have all things in common? Are we willing to sell whatever we do if we need to to further the gospel of the kingdom of God, to preach the Christ? Do we really believe it? Do we believe our ministers? We take their word as it shows in God's scriptures. Magnify it. Honor it. Honor them for their labor in love and doctrine. Appreciate them. Which I think we do. But they all were believed. See, that's the fellowship. They all were alike. They were willing to sacrifice together. Why? They believed the teachings of the apostles. They were being taught the right way of life. And they wanted to be a part of that teaching. So they sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as many had needs. So continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Just simple. See? Nothing big. Simplicity of heart. Praising God, having favor with the, all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So that's how you build your church. It's the people praying that they see that we're different and they want to be a part of it and understand <clears throat> those things that are so important for a man can understand. In Acts chapter 3, you read about the, the cripple when Peter and John healed that man, gave him back his legs. He went through the temple shouting. Would we do that? Oh, no, it's, uh, it's too embarrassing. That's too embarrassing. Shouting and leaping, praising God. Well, what had he done? Did he think about the people? No. Did he get what they thought? No. He was healed. And that's the power that God had given the apostles. So they were healed. And then they began to wonder, how did they do it? The Sadducees, the Pharisees, Sanhedrins, the captains. How did they do it? What power? What name did they do it in? How did they do all of that? They couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny it at all. Then here again Peter. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, verse 12, why do you marvel at this or this man? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or goodness we made this man whole? Well, don't look on us. We're nothing. We're just fishermen. Salted. Down to earth people. 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So Peter got another little dig in there. Another little dig, see. You killed Christ. You delivered Him up. But you you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and kill the Prince of Peace, life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And they were witnesses, eyewitnesses of that. And His name, through His name, has made this man strong, whom you see now know, or when you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given him this perfect soundness. And now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as also your rulers. And he told them again to repent of that. And I mentioned a while ago, they thought, well, what are we going to do with these men? As Mr. Meredith said in his sermon, it's spreading all over the place. You know, did you hear about that? Did you hear about this? Did you hear this? Just started spreading. Said we can't allow that. You know that to be spreading, and we've got to do something about it. In verse four, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Why would they be upset over that? Well, it caused him to be put to death. Made them look bad, apparently. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. The message was so strong and so convicting. It convicted them of their sin, of what they had done. So it came to pass on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes, they brought the you know, Peter and them before uh, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, verse 6, as it were, the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people, elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done for a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. You got another dig in there, you see. Whom God raised from the dead by him. This man stands before you hold. And he talks about there's no other, no other name under heaven given where salvation can be except him. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They were not trained in the Pharisees' doctrine, the Sadducees' doctrine. No, they realized they had been with Jesus. They had to realize that. Why? They were in perfect harmony with Jesus' teachings. Carried out to everything He told them to do. They were in complete fellowship with that. Willing to risk their lives for that. Jesus said you may lose your life. More than willing for that. Risk their lives for what it, what it had. 
So it says, what, what shall we do, verse 16, to these men? For indeed, that a noble miracle has been done through, G, through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, so that it spread no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them, and that from now on they speak to no man in his name. Can you imagine how that will scare people? Old Peter says, well, we may get kicked off out of here. We, we can't be afraid. Now we we got to be careful. These Pharisees, they got a lot of power. we got to be very careful with them. No, they spoke more boldly. What did they do then? So in verse 23, being let go, they went to their own companies where the fellowship was and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them so that when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who had made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage? In verse 27, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants with boldness that they may speak your word. Do we do that? That's fellowship, isn't it? Grant your servants with boldness that they would speak your word. So they were in complete harmony with the apostles. Complete fellowship. And they wanted them to speak that word with boldness. And with power. And not be afraid. Don't cow down to their threats. Lord, you hear their threats. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the Word of God with boldness, not some little mushy sermon, but with power inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And God's Spirit was present. I mean, it shook. The building, it shook. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe, brethren, that God once again is going to shake. As we've heard Dr. Merritt, Mr. Amethem, preach that. Shake again. Shake up things. That we may speak the word of God with boldness and not be afraid. Not be afraid at all. And of the multitude of those who believe were of one heart, one soul. See the, see the fellowship was in the doctrine, in the message, in the job that had to be done. They were all together in that. But there were servants who spoke with boldness and the church backed them up. The companions prayed for them. That they could do it. Just like the magazine. 
We pray that God will be it powerful and people who read it can be convicted and turn from their sins. And I believe God's going to do it. We've got to want to see people change. We've got to want to see people helped. We've got to love our enemies. Warn our enemies. We've got to see that. That's God's knowledge. It's not man's way. That's not man's philosophy. That's God's knowledge. Now the multitude of those who believe are one heart. And one soul, neither did anyone say that, uh, say that any of these things be, he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. See, it was not human emotions what I'm saying. It was the power of God in them. It was not human emotions. Human emotions don't last long. If it's threatened, human emotions are. They tend to hide them then. They don't speak with boldness. They become cowards. And God has not called us to become a coward. But to be bold, people may see us and understand that we are different than the average worker on our job, than the average driver on the street. And we're different. And what made us different is the knowledge of God. That's what made us different. All I know is what God has given to me through His ministers. The knowledge I have, what little it is, has been given to me through His ministers. Listening to His ministers. Not come to criticize them. That God would give them boldness to preach His word. To the world as well. Like on the telecast. We need to pray that that telecast. Can reach people with boldness. That can convict them. That they're in the wrong way. They're going the wrong way. Where they really want to change. And understand. That way of God. In one way. In 1 Timothy chapter 4. Sixteen. <clears throat> Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That is behooves the minister of God to teach, to pay attention to that. Not only will save him, but to save the others who listen, who would accept that word. That is coming from God. And those who hear you. Not everybody hears. But here is a doer. He begins to do something. Now first Timothy, first Timothy chapter 5 verse 17. That the elder who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. 
that a minister labors over the word of God. He wants to be sure it's true in the word and doctrine because he's held accountable for what he teaches. Let it be counted worthy. Let him be honored with that position and realize the honored position that he is in. That's that first Timothy chapter six. That as many bond servants, verse one, is under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. See it can be. If the honor is not there, if the respect is not there. And those who have believed in masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers. And beloved, teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise, it does not consent to the wholesome word, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrines which according to with godliness he is proud, knowing nothing, was obsessed with disputes, arguments over words, from which comes envy, strife, reviling, and evil suspicion. What does that gain? Does it gain godliness? No. Does man's way or man's knowledge gain godliness? No. Not at all. It's God's way that we learn and live. And Jesus said, I'll build my church. And that's where the truth will be. In his church, revealed to us through the Holy Spirit, through his ministry. And I think we all understand that. At least Titus chapter 1, verse 9. He's telling Titus, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound teachings both exhort and convict those who contradict. See, the key is what you've been taught. And I know the minister looks for people who are potential elders to be sure they understand the Scriptures and they stay with what they've been taught and converted because they know it works. Not introducing some man's way, but what they've been taught. That he may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they owe not, for the sake of dishonest gain, just for money, just for a job, just for money. And he goes on and shows Timothy, Titus, you've got to be very careful in those situations. Hebrews, uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. 
So that's what he says to a heretic or someone who's trying to bring a different philosophy, different way of life, some man's teachings, some man's doctrine. Brethren, it's the doctrine of Christ that he brought from the Father that we follow, that we're in fellowship with. Man is just a man. Just a man. Even though Solomon was a man, a king. All that wisdom. Look what happened in the end. When he left the teachings, he was taught by David. To another set of ideas. Another way. Look what it cost him. In those situations. So brethren. The things that we have proved. We need to hold on to them. Not let them slip. Out of our minds. And you hear that almost every Sabbath. About the doctors of the church. Remember the doctors. Who were passed out to us. And we understand those doctrines. We prove them. So we would die for them. Need be. And that's how much we love God's truth. Because it has set us free, and that truth will keep us free. People of God have suffered and died, see, for the teachings of God. You read that in Hebrews chapter 11. They couldn't shake their foundation. They wouldn't give up the truth. Now, could I about to be thrown into boiling oil? See, red hot, they about to throw me in there if I don't give up the truth. It'd be tempting, wouldn't it? I love my life more than truth. I love God more than truth. You don't know what you do under heavy persecution. It's talking about betrayal and the tribulation, probably under heavy persecution. People to sell each other out. It's been done before. Unless you love that truth. Live by that truth. Realize your life is nothing without that truth. And understand. So time puts things to a test. How long would one hold out if he or she were being tortured to give up the teachings of God? To give it up. All the saints have been faced with that possibility to recant In the near future, some of us may have to give it up. It's prophesied again in Revelation chapter 6. I ask myself, can I endure to the end? I don't trust self. I trust God to help me. So when he opened the fifth seal, verse 9, I saw under the altars the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they did or held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O eternal, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. So it's prophesied. 
unless a person is counted worthy to escape all of these things. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable that that is to happen. And it will happen. And we understand it will happen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 21. Luke 21, verse 12. Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony to be a witness to them why you delivered up. That's the way it's going to turn out. And that did happen. <clears> That's <throat> happened before and it probably happened again. Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all of your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. It will be a time of witnessing. Witness for Jesus Christ coming Savior, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And God said, I will give you what to say. You don't think about it. I will tell you what to say at that time. I will give it to you. As he mentions that, let's just look at one more example back in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel 3. We know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. He really loved himself, apparently. He thought there was nobody like him. He had the power of life and death. Only had to say, put him to death, you'd be put to death. He had that power. And he had his image built of him. And they were all at the sound of the trumpet were to bow down to that image. Now that was his teachings. That was his religion. Now the three Hebrew men were faced with that. Are we just going to stand up? So when the trumpet sounded, they were standing and the others were bowed down. They stayed with their teachings. They were in fellowship with their God. They would have no other God before God. So it made old Nebuchadnezzar mad. I mean, he was furious that these men would not come over to his way of thinking, his way of religion, his way of, of teaching. And they were he was furious. And he just said, Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, verse 22, throw them in the fire furnace. Throw them in there. Get rid of them. Anybody else who will not fall down here, that's where you're going. So the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. And he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the counselor, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to him, O king, true king, true O king, look, he answered, I see four men. 
And here was one like the Son of God. They were in complete fellowship because they obeyed, obeyed the Scriptures. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. They stood rock solid, and they were witnesses that nobody could harm them. No fire was too hot for them. would burn them up. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar said, Who is able to deliver you from my hands? You read that in verse 15. Who can do that? Little did he know that he was about to fall into the hands of the living God, that he'd be driven out eating grass like an ox. For seven years. Then he woke up. He realized there was a God in heaven. Daniel's God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. And made a decree. Now he didn't accept God. But he knew their servants. His servants did. They were eyewitnesses of the teachings of God. Eyewitnesses. And there was nothing they could do about that, Nebuchadnezzar. And brethren, if we stand strong, there's nothing anybody can do to us. They may hurt us a little bit. They may kill us, but as far as they can go. Cannot destroy us. And what we have proven, proved ourselves, the truth of God, Hang on to it for dear life. Don't give it up. If you walk out of the house of God, you walk straight to death. Cut off from the knowledge of God. Because this is where the knowledge is. And we have to be fed every week. God's way of life. You walk out, nothing out there but death. Man's way. Man's knowledge. Man's understanding is death. God's knowledge is life. Life eternal. So... Let's remember how important the teachings of God is. Let's remain in fellowship with those teachings.